welcome to this week's sermon from C3 Church Narara. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Chris Brown. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net. So you um, have probably heard the expression, nail your colours to the mast, I, uh, um, meaning to, you know, to take a stand, be firm uh, about your convictions. And I came across uh, recently the story about how that phrase got its meaning. As you may guess, it came from the age of ocean going, going sailing, when uh, European countries were exploring the world often uh, clashing over who commanded certain ports and routes and ships were identified by their flags or colours as they called them and they would fly these from the top of their masts and it allowed sailors to obviously identify who was on their side, who was from another country, who may be from an enemy country at the time depending on who they were fighting and sometimes ships would disguise themselves by hoisting another flag Pirates famously did this, and this is where we get the phrase flying under false colours. Because they'd try and trick the enemy, they'd get close to them, and in the last minute they would switch around and reveal who they were and attack, and, uh, and that's where we get the phrase showing your true colours from. Uh, but to nailing your colours to the mast, in 1798, the British Royal Navy fought against the Dutch Just checking, you know, any racial conflict here. We're just making sure that the Dutch aren't sitting next to the British just for the moment, okay? Mind you, we get on to the French. There's plenty of battles with the French, so just watch out. We've got, in fact, got some Argentine people there and let's, okay, anyway, there's British. All right, so anyway, the British fought against the Dutch in what was known as the Battle of Camperdown. The colours of the British flagship were shot down. And of course, if you lowered your colours in the middle of a battle, that would be a sign of surrender. And so a young British sailor, Jack Crawford, bravely climbed to the top of the main mast or what was left of it and ignoring the heavy enemy fire, replaced the colours, nailing them to the mast. And the battle continued and eventually the Dutch fleet was destroyed. And some historians say that that victory was the pivotal point in the reputation of the British army sorry, the British Navy, uh, you know, going up through the roof, elevating them to the status that they enjoyed for more than a century afterwards. Hence the phrase, Britannia rules the waves. You know, so they were very proud of that. And Jack Crawford's single act of heroism had a key part to play in this. Because when he nailed his colours to the mast, it meant two things. Surrender was not an option. And secondly, he was proclaiming the identity of his ship. And who that ship served. So it was a brave, bold statement of confidence and defiance against the enemy, just one decision, just one individual, and yet far-reaching consequences. So to the Christian life, you may see the parallel that I'm about to make, because we're living in a time when Christians need to nail their colours to the mast. The Western world is now often an aggressively post-Christian place. There's a real temptation to 
sail under false colours, if you like, to hope that no one notices you. That's cowardice. And a true Christian is one who bravely flies their flag, who keeps raising up Jesus when others are shooting him down, and one who's willing to suffer rather than surrender, just like young Jack did. We cannot afford to lower our colours or fail to fly our flag just because of opposition or criticism, which is increasing in different aspects of society and what Christian truth proclaims as opposed to what people in the world consider appropriate. And so it's never been more important than now for Christians to stand up for what they believe and and to point people to God's truth, not just my truth. Oh, I can't stand that phrase. Please. Um, you need to know what you believe and why you believe it. And that's why I'm so excited about Bible college because you know, we need to be biblically literate and confident about what the Bible teaches and to develop a worldview that is based on God's truth, not just on what the world says, the vagaries of modern society and all kinds of ungodly influences that are trying to affect uh, everyone. Uh, and there's so much influence uh, with, you know, social media, there's good old-fashioned, you know, television and newspapers for the oldies, but uh, so many young people don't go anywhere near those uh, medium forms of media, uh, but they are bombarded through their smartphones with all kinds of, uh, you know, uh, fake truth, propaganda, fake news, you, you know, influences, ideas, concepts that aren't always lining up with what the Word of God teaches us. And so with our countdown to Christmas, we're remembering, you know, how Jesus came into the world and it's important to understand and appreciate the different facets of his personality and his ministry uh, and to know who he is in the world. And so today we're looking at Jesus as the Messiah and you know, Janelle was already giving us a taster of that with her communion word. Now, no doubt since October the 7th, you've noticed the horrific level of anti-Semitism that's being displayed around the world. And even here in Australia, which is incredibly shocking, more, worse than I've ever seen it in my life. Hard to believe. But historically, it's not that shocking because the Jewish people have always suffered persecution all throughout history. They're God's chosen people. The devil therefore hates them and he's done everything he can to attack and oppress them all throughout history in all different societies. And that's how things were 2,000 years ago in Israel or Judea as it was called then because, as you know, the Romans had arrived, conquered the Jewish people. Uh, General Pompey had uh, captured Jerusalem in 63 BC set up Roman rule, uh, and the Jews were hit with heavy taxes, which the Romans used mainly to just uh, maintain their army base. So you're not getting a lot of uh, local benefit for your taxes, so obviously the resentment about Roman occupation was very high amongst the Jewish people. And some Jews actively resisted and rebelled and were then, of course, crushed and conquered again by the might of the Roman army. Most just suffered, simmered away, longing for the promised Messiah, which, as I said, Janelle referred to the Old Testament prophets like Isaiah and others had written about. And some biblical scholars say that there's over 500 references, prophetic verses and passages about the Messiah in the Old Testament. 
depending on how scriptures are interpreted. But even a conservative view lists at least 300 different prophecies that Jesus came and fulfilled. And here are some of the most well-known ones. And I'm not sure if we've got them on the screen because I threw it at young Anthony at the last minute. Look at that. He switched on. Isn't it weird how when, you were, when I was young, old people knew things. And if you're young, you would go to your father. Can you help me fix my push bike, motorbike? You know, how do you do this? And things have flipped since technology arrived. I don't know what you call it before the 80s. We called that technology, but, you know, modern technology. Now it's like, who's the youngest person I can find to fix this thing? You know, something doesn't work. It's like, don't ask an old person unless they're, oh, I'm a computer programmer. Yeah, well, you might have got your degree in 1975. So I think I'm still going with the six-year-old who is just (laughs) zipping away, fixing the app, solve it, you know. So Anthony, who is, help me out here. How old's your nephew? 13. See, he's at the perfect age. He's just growing a brain, but he's, he's young, you know, he's kind of, he's, he's not too old to be arrogant or to help out his pastor, you know, he's young. Anyway, so thank you, Anthony. The Messiah, here are just some of the Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah. He'd be from the tribe of Judah. He would be, uh, and there's scriptural references for these, it's in Genesis. He'd be a descendant of King David, there it is. He would be a king, Isaiah 11. He would be born in Bethlehem, Micah 5 verse 2. I mean, that's pretty specific, right? What about the next one? Born to a virgin. What, how's that going to work? It's there, Isaiah 7. I don't know what people thought of that. You know. But it's there, it's in the Bible. He would arrive before the destruction of the temple, which occurred in AD 70. Very well-known historical fact. The Romans says they had enough of all the insurrections and they just obliterated the temple. He would present himself, how's this one? Riding on a donkey. That's in Zechariah 9 verse 9. He would be tormented, tortured and killed. Psalm 22, amongst other passages, talks about that in a prophetic way. And there's others. He would be a perfect sacrifice. Thank you, Anthony. Last minute. Right? Look at that. Uh, he would be a, a perfect sacrifice. He'd be a priest in the order of Melchizedek, etc., etc. All this to say, Jesus is the Messiah. Because he did fulfill all of those prophecies. But what does it mean? What did it mean for the people back then? What does it mean for us today? I'm glad you asked. So, let's start by looking at the name. Messiah comes from the Hebrew word, derived from a verb meaning to anoint with oil. So Messiah literally means the anointed one. And we'll talk about what that means with the term anointing. But the Greek word is Christ, which is the equivalent of the Hebrew word Messiah. And obviously that's used most often in the New Testament. There's only a few uses of the word Messiah in the New Testament because they used the common language of the day being Greek. So there's over 500 references to Christ. So when you say Jesus Christ, you're proclaiming Jesus as the Messiah, because that's got the same meaning. So the first implication and application of the anointed one is that the Messiah would be anointed to be king. In other words, some oil would be used to anoint sometimes priests, prophets, special appointments of people, but certainly kings. They would get some oil, they would put it on their forehead and they would say, by doing this, we are proclaiming this person to be king. And of course, the Messiah would be the great king, the king of kings, 
that would deliver God's people. But the way Jesus appeared on earth was a real problem for a lot of people, wasn't it? Because they were looking for someone who would bring the revolution. Flippin' Romans, we've had enough. And they wanted radical, political or cultural change. They wanted a warrior king. They wanted to bring in the military. They want to throw off the shackles of the Roman occupation. Instead, what do they get? A baby born to a chippy in the back of a pub. You know, not a position of influence, no fanfare, no elevated you know, position in society. And as Jesus grew up, it didn't get any easier because he deliberately presented himself presented himself in a very humble way, didn't he? It didn't fit the normal narrative of, of being a king, you know, because he wanted people to understand that his kingdom wasn't geographical, it wasn't cultural, it wasn't political, it was spiritual, it was eternal, it was a different kind of kingdom. And that's why he hung out with all kinds of people from all different walks of life, the sinners as the religious people you know, talked about at the time, the tax collectors, the ones that were in cohorts with the Romans, Jewish people, but taking taxes from their own people and getting a cut and sending it off to the Romans. And Jesus hung out with these people, prostitutes, people that, you know, were considered the dregs of society. Jesus had no problem hanging out with them. And so that just freaked people's brains out and, uh, and, and the way he got around. He walked around on foot, with this ragtag bunch of disciples, followers. They weren't graduates from theological seminary. Didn't say cemetery, you know, just... (laughs) But that's sometimes the dig that people have with, you know, highbrow intellectual study, if it's, uh, you know, of the Bible without the right spirit. And there would have been that pharisaical influence for some of those Pharisees and you know well-educated people in the word, but missing the spirit, missing the Messiah in front of them. And so he didn't hang out with those people. And I mean, he arrived in Jerusalem on a donkey. Like that's like a head of state arriving in Sydney and there's the big motorcade of black Beamers or Mercedes already. And he just walks straight past them and gets an Uber with some bloke and his bummy old 20-year-old Commodore. And off he goes. It's like we're all waiting, got security, and it's like, what? It's like that, that would be... That. Or imagine a tradie on his way to site and he's driving his bomby old Hilux, there's tools in the cab, the floor's covered in smelly old iced coffee cartons, <laughs> there's sweaty gym clothes, maybe there's a mouldy wetsuit from that surf a month ago after work and this is not a hypothetical situation okay yeah there's a bit of accuracy to this I can I I I know I've got tradies in the family in fact if you just go out to the car park afterwards exhibit a b and c I think there'll be a few there but imagine you know the tradie picks up a hitchhiker who's going into town and he's got a few mates with him and they get chatting how you going what are you up to and he goes oh yeah well I'm just going in to save the world I'm sorry yeah I've got a do this gig, it's a bit of a big deal, I'm going to die, but it's okay because I'm going to save everyone and I'm the Messiah. 
you know, on the cross. Well, that, that, that's the way Jesus hung out. That would freak. It's like, well, if you're such a bigwig, what are you doing hanging out with me? You know? And so this is how Jesus rolled, as they say, you know, because he wanted to educate people as to what his kingdom really looked like and who he was as a king and the heart of a king and not just pomp and ceremony and pride, but humility and service even to his servants. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? And so he wanted to redefine what Messiah looked like. He even said in John 18, it's recorded, John 18 verse 36, my kingdom is not of this world. And so uh, some people got it. Some people got it even when they didn't see him grow up and teach and see him do miracles and heal people like the, the Magi, the wise men at Christmas. They cottoned on, they got it, they came from another country and they they were wise, they demonstrated their wisdom by honouring and worshipping Jesus even when he was a baby. They caught it in the spirit. And then look at Luke chapter 2. Here's this wonderful passage about an old bloke who recognised Jesus again as a baby being the Messiah. Luke 2 verse 25, it says, At that time there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout and was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him and had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. That day the Spirit led him to the temple. That's interesting, isn't it? So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the law, to the Lord as the law required, Simeon was there. He took the child in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace as you have promised. I've seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all the people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations. He is the glory of your people, Israel. Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about him. Simeon blessed them. And he said to Mary, the baby's mother, This child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall but he will be a joy to many others. He has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your very soul. The last part of that prophecy would have been hard for Mary to hear. And it was proven true. But she already knew that things were different with this child because she had had Gabriel, remember nine months earlier, arrive and saying, you're going to conceive miraculously, even though you're a virgin, and you're carrying the Messiah. So she already knew what was going down. Um, and, and in fact, in that passage, if I think you go back a chapter in Luke 1, you see Gabriel and he says to Mary, and his kingdom will never end. So in other words, he's going to be a king. And that's exactly what Simeon prophesied. What a great moment for that old bloke. It's nothing about, nothing like going to church. You know, being led by the Spirit, I'm going to church. What if he had missed? What if he'd go, oh, yeah, but the replay of the cricket's on, you know? Or my mates are ringing up and saying, come on, let's do some barefoot bowls. And, you know, Jacko's only got a few days left, so you better get down there because he's getting on a bit. And, you know, there's so many, I was saying this earlier, so many different things you could be doing. And yet, bam, there he is in the house of God on that day. Oh, wow. I know of a pastor who had handed the leadership of the church over and he would still song lead. This is in Sydney. He was 92 years old and he would occasionally song lead. They'd get him up at the beginning of the service, old time Pentecostal, and he'd be like, come on, saints, come on, sing the song, sing the song. And he's song leading. Oh, here you go. There's the 
microphone and he sat down and died on the front row. Bam, that's the way to go. Oh, actually, I'm feeling a little... Uh, here, Byron, quick. Uh, I think that's the way to go out. Or I think it's Kenneth Hagen talks about his grandmother, might have been his mother or his grandmother, and she said, I'm going home today. And everyone thought, oh, she's getting senile. She thinks she's going back to you know North Carolina or whatever. And, and she said, I want everyone to come and say goodbye. I'm going home. And I thought, oh, grand, you know, you're not going anywhere. Well, sure enough, she said goodbye to everyone and then plonk, just fell asleep in her chair. She knew it was time to go home. I love it. So um, that, that Simeon, there you go. He went home, died, I don't know, maybe even that afternoon. Um, <laughs> darling, I've seen the Messiah. What's that? Darling, I told you I've seen... Boom. There he's gone. <laughs> um, so Jesus is king, yeah? The Messiah is the king. And uh, Ruth's going to preach more about king of kings next week and what that looks like. But notice the other aspect of being anointed. Jesus was anointed for ministry, right? And so if you scroll down or flip over to Luke chapter 4, um, you see how the anointed one refers to service or ministry or a calling for God, and Jesus fulfilled that. Look at Luke four sixteen. Jesus went to Nazareth where he had been brought up, Oh, I'm reading from the NIV. Is it too late for you to change that? Anyway, I'm going to read from the NIV. So that's going to maybe appear a bit different. But listen, um, the phraseology is just a little better in here in the NIV. Uh, So he'd been brought up in there. On the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, verse 18 of Luke 4, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind. To set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. <laughs> I talk about a mic drop moment. I wonder if he just scroll dropped. Boom, you know? Just, just you know, read today. Because they've, they've heard that. Oh, we've heard the Bible, you know. And he reads it there and he just goes, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Boom. You know? <laughs> I just wonder. Because, I mean, that's, that is Isaiah 61, right? So this is another fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy about the Messiah and just notice the different aspects of how the ministry of Jesus fulfilled what was prophesied about. Firstly, the Holy Spirit is upon him. The Holy Spirit brings the anointing. So you can define anointing, I think, as a, an enabling ability. The Holy Spirit helping someone to do something that in the natural realm they can't do, but with supernatural assistance they can do it. So we've got this weird dynamic with Jesus. We can't fully understand it because the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Jesus is 100% God, and yet he's 100% man. And so he needed the Holy Spirit's anointing. He needed the Father's instructions. So, you know, there's this three persons, as I said, Trinity's hard to get our brains around completely, but there's certainly this dynamic going on where they're all working together. The point being, if Jesus relied on the Holy Spirit, how much more do we need to? 
yes, to rely on his presence, his power, his fruits, his gifts, his guidance, his anointing. And so you pray for that, for your work, for your marriage, for whatever you're doing. God, anoint me. In other words, help me beyond my natural. It's like oil in a machine and you run it without oil and it's just going to seize that engine. Eventually you might get there for but then oil, ah, it makes it so much better. It lubricates the process. It's, you know, and that's exactly how the Holy Spirit anoints. And that's the next part. It says Jesus was anointed to bring good news. So we call it the gospel. It's the best news anyone could ever hear, isn't it? That in spite of our sin, God still loves us and has made a way possible for us to come back into a, into a relationship with him to be forgiven, saved, set free from sin and its effects and to have a home in eternity in heaven. That is like the, you know, the very best news you can ever hear. Listen, if you like to watch the news or listen to the news or read the news because you want to stay informed, I get it, I do the same. But every now and then I just go, whoa, 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 that's enough. You want to make sure that you are getting more of the good news than the bad news. That you are not overwhelmed by the stress, the worry, the anger about the idiots that are saying that or that stupid, and why is that country and what are they and how do they? And you can just get full of injustice or worry or fear. Oh, you go to the gospel, you read the Bible and you digest more of the good news than you're getting the bad news in. Yeah, So you're not getting depressed or anxious. Notice also the good news is for the poor. Jesus is, he says, I'm going, what, 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 he's, he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Well, who are the poor? You know, in the Beatitudes, Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. And in the NLT version, it says, blessed are the poor in spirit, those who realize their need for God. Doesn't that say it well? It's like poor in spirit. You think, oh, what do you mean poor? I'm not poor. I live in Australia. Okay, we get it, but... We're all poor in spirit, but that's a good thing because it means we realise our need for God. Even the wealthiest person, you know, in the material realm is poor before God, if they're honest, poor in spirit. And those who are poor in the material realm, well, that's okay because Jesus is the greatest wealth they can find. And then that often, you know, flows as he moves on their lives. That often then flows into their material financial world anyway. We noticed this in Russia in the early 90s. As many of you know, we were missionaries there. And many people were really poor after the collapse of the Soviet Union. And uh, so much so that, you know, like inflation was just going berserk. It was it, it was 1% to 2,000% per annum. So every every day the ruble was worth less. So we would get money sent to us to Finland because it was too dangerous going to a bank in Russia. We'd drive over the border. We'd take some money out of the bank in Finland. We'd bring it back in US dollars. We'd stash it in the car, in the kids' nappy bags and under the seat and all different places like that in different amounts. We'd bring it back. We'd stash it in different parts of our apartment. And every couple of days, I would go out and change a few dollars into rubles. And every few days, it was worth... It was fine for us because we were getting hard currency, US dollars. But the locals, like the government employees, and most people were government employees. I mean, everybody was government employee under communism, and then we're only talking about a few months afterwards, so hardly anyone's... 
Tim, don't tell me that was you. If that was you with a technical issue and a phone talking, then you will never hear the end of this. You give it to Eleanor with your half clap and all that. I'm going to love this. Here he is, teacher. Anyway, (laughs) please turn your phones off during the sermon. Um, Especially if you're a teacher who should know better. Anyway. So all the government employees, back to the story, in Russia in the early 90s, they were poor as because they're getting paid in rubles and every day the ruble's being devalued. So you get to the point where a university professor with several degrees, and there's plenty of them in Russia because they're brainiacs, a lot of them, they would get paid less than a kid, a teenager on the street selling shapkas and, you know, matryoshka dolls and souvenirs. And so you would find university professors then scratching around, you know, selling souvenirs or people selling their stuff, just standing there selling their lamp or, or, you know, so people were a lot of, the very poor, they were struggling. And yet many who were poor were suddenly rich because they discovered Jesus. They got the good news. And I'm not being trite about this because it flowed right through their whole life. They, you know, brother, uh, brothers and sisters, what does uh, John say? I pray that you would prosper in all areas, even as your soul prospers. It's a big subject, isn't it? Prosperity, and we're not talking prosperity doctrine in a bad sense, but there's a godly prosperity that starts in our spirit and it flows through in our lives. And so we met people who, look, we were in the midst of a revival. Dozens of people born again every Sunday in church. People coming out of the woodwork. Because for 70 years, the gospel wasn't preached publicly. You'd get thrown in jail. Just owning a Bible would get you five years. You, you know, it was, it was suddenly open doors and revival times. And, uh, and it was going on all over the country. And we were blessed to be part of that. Uh, but these poor people, honestly, they were overjoyed like they'd won the lottery. Because they'd met Jesus. So not talking about material wealth yet, just just a full appreciation of the gospel that they hadn't been able to hear fully. Just snippets of kind of religious Christianity, but not the good news. And so then they would just begin to trust God with a raw, childlike faith for basic provisions. And we saw that in the Bible college we ran in the church. And I was thinking the other day of this one woman, Irina, of course, most women's name was Arena at the time. If you're in doubt and praying for someone, you just say Arena, right? Yeah, yeah. It was amazing how many of them were Arenas. But Arena Pilipenko, she was one of our Bible college students. And she uh, was a street sweeper, which is like way down on the government wage bill. So we're now talking rubles and not many, you know. And, uh, but she was, she was so poor, she needed a hat and winter was coming and she didn't even have a hat. She was praying, God, I don't have the money to buy a hat. I'm praying for a hat. And one day she came in rejoicing because she uh, felt the Holy Spirit speak to her while she's sweeping the sweep. Go and look behind that bush over there. And she thought, random, why? And there is this beautiful red hat, near new, no one around. Someone's left it and that was her hat. And she wore it all the time and she was so chuffed. God had blessed her with it. But that blessing just lifted her faith to go, God will meet all my needs. I am going all in with this. I am, she was a mad keen Bible student. She's coming to church, praying ahead of, just all really right in there. Her husband was a terrible alcoholic, like the worst, you know, and everything that that entails. And so she could easily have left him, but she didn't. She felt, no, I'm going to pray for my marriage. I'm going to stand by my man and I'm going to just 
Trust God. So she prayed for him. And of course, we came back to Australia after a couple of years. But on one of our return visits, every couple of years we'd go back. One of our return visits, her husband, because he had come to church sometimes. And Russian drunk men were just the saddest things you could ever imagine. Like, just terrible. Drinking their misery and half their mates had, you know died and you know and so this guy was one of those classic sad guys uh and but he had become a christian he was coming to church and he's just getting over his addiction and getting on top of it the next time we came back things were looking better we ended up going back and finding out that they'd started the business together and they'd become millionaires and they were wealthy blessed prosperous in every sense of the word, generous to others, their marriage was, it was like rags to riches story, but it started with the gospel, right? Preaching the gospel to the poor, not just in the material sense, in the spiritual sense, but then it flows into every aspect of your life, you know? So that's good news for the poor. And then notice the Messiah, it says he's going to bring freedom for the prisoners. So we got to appreciate, you know, many people are entrapped by spiritual bondage there's idolatry in our western world idolatry of material things some people are addicted to stuff some people are just spiritually apathetic that's kind of bondage the devil's happy to keep people thinking what god church i don't know i don't care i'm just going to the beach man it's like yeah okay but you're gonna die oh yeah not really i'm immortal you know they don't say it but there's something in the back of our brain that sort of thinks that you know we don't talk about death yeah, it's uncomfortable we just carry on yeah. but it's like okay but who is God where is God and so this is like a bondage it's like and yet Jesus comes to set people free to appreciate how things are and get them on track with their destiny and then similarly the fifth one here it says the Messiah is going to bring recovery of sight to the blind as Isaac Watts famously wrote in his song, Amazing Grace, I once was blind, now I see. And there is a moment, you know, when people go, the lights came on, you know, the scales came off my eyes. And so we can be spiritually blinded to reality that there is a spiritual realm, there is a God, there is not just a God in a general ethereal sense, but God who came to earth into human form his name's Jesus and he came with a purpose and the whole reason that he came and dying on the cross and and so ah, at that moment wow people get to see and perhaps you've had that experience I can remember looking from the other side just thinking Christianity just weird stupid I don't know just ridiculous and then you look back and think how dumb was I? It's like well, there was darkness and now I see. It's so clear. It's so obvious. And Paul talks about that. He says the, the apparent foolishness of the gospel. He writes to the Corinthian church. You read those first couple of chapters of 1 Corinthians. And then Jesus, he says uh, that he would come to set the oppressed go free. Wow. I mean, mental health today is a big deal, isn't it? A lot of people feeling stressed out. There's all kinds of oppression and depression and and without being trite and simplistic Jesus can set people free and of course there may be processes and time and and medical expertise and and you know we don't discard any of that but if you google Jesus delivered me from depression as I did the other day I didn't land on any specific story I thought I know I'm going to be running out of time and I'm right so I'm just saying 
here's my story. Google it and read one of the myriad of stories of people who testify, Jesus set me free from depression. Um, and that's part of the ministry of the anointed Messiah. And then finally, it says, I've come to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Wow. Well, in Isaiah, that was referring to the year of Jubilee. You know, every 50 years, they would say, if you're in debt, it's forgiven. If you're a slave, you're set free. That's a pretty cool system. Interesting. Um, and I don't think it government's going to get that through parliament but you know it would shake things up a little you know um mind you that's how bankruptcy laws came in because they used to have debtors prison and that would just be people stuck there forever and they came up wisely with this system of okay you know get a second chance and start again but anyway they uh here you know the messiah here is coming to fulfill this in the most complete sense not just again in a material sense having your debts physically released from you but Jesus ushered in a new era of God's favor of God's blessing that would carry on forever a time of God's grace redemption forgiveness deliverance and now we are still in that season that era 2,000 years later he's still fulfilling this prophecy he's still changing lives in these different ways all over the world and so coming to a close Jesus is the Messiah he's anointed to be king He's anointed by the Holy Spirit to bring salvation, deliverance, forgiveness and freedom to anyone who reaches out to him in faith. And so make sure you nail your colours to the mast. Yeah, Stand up and, and be an unashamed follower of Jesus. Boldly, bravely believing what the Bible teaches. Yeah, No matter how it may be perceived. Obviously you use tact. And wisdom, but regardless of any attack or persecution that may come, we've got to keep flying the Lord's flag, amen? And proclaiming his good news to a world that desperately needs to discover that he was and is the Messiah, amen? Come on, let's pray. Jesus Messiah, Jesus Christ, Jesus our Saviour, Jesus the Deliverer, our Redeemer, Wow, we thank you for who you are, Lord, for who you have become in our lives by us simply putting our faith in you, committing our lives to you. And you know, today as we come to a close, I want to uh, encourage you to make sure that you are in relationship with God through Jesus. That's what being a Christian is, having a relationship with God. It's not just being a nice person or going to church or following the Ten Commandments those things don't hurt but the essence is a walking talking relationship with God through Jesus that's why he came and you can pray a prayer I'll pray with you afterwards just come and see me at the end of the service Uh, a very simple prayer of commitment to God uh, of laying your life down before Jesus receiving forgiveness and all the wonderful uh, blessings and direction and destiny that he lays on our life as a result Lord, we thank you. We want to help others discover you as Messiah. We thank you that you did fulfill all those prophecies, all those long-awaited promises. We don't have to look back anymore. We can look to the future with you leading us. And wow, we look forward to you coming again in all your glory, not like the first time. And we are anticipating that. We thank you, Lord, your blessing on everyone here today. Amen. Amen.
We hope you've enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net.